This is Margaret Cho, and you're listening to the Bicast, podcasting for the bisexual community. You put the B in LGBT. You put the B in LGBT. Welcome to the BiCast, podcasting for the bisexual plus community. This is Elizabeth Beecham with Amy Leibowitz. Our episode today focuses on employment rights. We have with us Nicholas Briner, a Kentucky school teacher who was fired for coming out as bisexual. And we also have Anna Dennis and Jennifer Wachuku of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Hello, everyone. Hey. Hi. Okay, let's start with Nicholas. Nicholas, would you mind introducing yourself? Oh, certainly. Uh, so I'm from Kentucky. Uh, I worked for several years as a middle school choir director. Uh, and uh, since the incident is that you already referenced, uh, losing my job after coming out as bisexual, I've been working as a professional actor in the uh, Kentucky and Ohio communities. Uh, Anna and Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and about the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law? Great. So um, my name is Anna Dennis. I am a proud bisexual queer woman of color from Atlanta, Georgia, who works for the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. I am housed within two projects that some of y'all may know about, um, the Voting Rights Project and the Stop Hate Project. Um, At Lawyers Committee, I'm a senior national coordinator, which is a fancy, fancy title, for someone who's just a senior organizer who works on community impact and uh, social change. And I'm joined by my colleague, Jennifer, who's going to introduce herself as well. Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer Wachuku, and I am an attorney um, at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law. I also am in both projects as well. I'm the Voting Rights Project as well as our Stop Hate Project. And I actually am a... Uh, Louisville, Kentucky native. That's my hometown. So I'm happy to um, talk a bit more about what's going on in Kentucky. Nicholas, tell us about what happened in the firing uh, at your middle school, was it? Certainly, yes. Uh, So I was working at a little school in a rural area of Kentucky. Uh, Mount Sterling was the community. So I was working at McNabb Middle School at the time. It was actually just about two years ago because it was over spring break. I received a frantic text message from one of my theater students. She had just received what turned out to be a suicide note from another one of my students and wasn't sure what to do. So I walked her through the uh, the process with uh, getting a hold of police, uh, what to report. And in the meantime, I drove like... Uh, bat out of hell with one of our uh, other teachers out to this student's house, met police out there, and luckily we did get there in time. But the thing was, the reason, or at least a large part of the reason why this suicide note was ever written, was that this young lady did identify as a lesbian, and there was a lot of friction with her family because of that. So I got to thinking after that, if she knew, or if any of my other LGBT students realized that there was a teacher in their classroom that understood what they were going through, uh, that they could reach out to for support, would would she or any other student necessarily get that far? And, And of course, it's impossible to know, but you always second guess those things. So after a lot of, a lot of thought, a lot of consideration, 
I decided to, after 30 years, finally come out of the closet myself. And I proudly posted that bisexual flag on my Instagram account. Um, and initially I received a, a lot of support from, uh, from people that were incredibly surprised to uh, find out this news. But then we came back from spring break. I was actively in the middle of teaching a class when I received a phone call from my principal summoning me to the office, uh, informing me that another teacher was coming down to, quote, babysit my class. When I got into the meeting, I was met with my principal, my uh, chief academic officer, and deputy superintendent. So needless to say, I felt like I was before the firing squad. Now, understandably, the first five minutes or so of that meeting was to discuss the student, because obviously I had sent an email notifying them of the situation uh, so that she could receive counseling services as soon as she got back to school. The next 30 minutes or so was spent cautioning me about, uh, about being open about my sexuality in a small eastern Kentucky town, uh, indirectly encouraging me to take the post down and um, essentially forget about it, uh, saying that some parents had called in concerned that I was going to be attempting to change their children's religious beliefs concerning homosexuality, because obviously the th thing that any middle school teacher wants to do is bring up sex in the classroom. <sighs> but <laughs> we, uh, we spent that 30 minutes or so discussing that, and I really wasn't... Uh, permitted to leave that room until I acknowledged that I understood those parents' concern. And then a few weeks later, after a significant amount of harassment, uh, both in and outside of my classroom uh, from administration, I found myself without a job. Uh, since then, they've gone back and forth as to why I was let go, because of course they have to scramble for reasoning. Initially, um, and I actually did have my union rep in with me uh, for that initial meeting, uh, they told me that it was budget cuts, and sure enough, there are budget cuts across this state. We regularly cut education first, but within a couple of months, I discovered that my job had been filled by a heterosexual female, so that, that reason no longer flew. Um, and since then, as the media has gotten involved, as this has uh, reached you know, venues like the, the Lexington Herald-Leader, uh, Louisville Courier Journal, The Washington Post, New York Daily News, they felt pressured to release some sort of um, legitimate reasoning for my uh, being let go. Uh, and they, I, I think we're up to nine reasons now because they can never seem to agree, uh, which really at this point leaves the obvious. So I initially filed um, with realizing the obvious. I initially filed a complaint with the EEOC and U.S. Civil Rights Office. Ultimately, after their investigation, they issued me my right to sue, at which point I secured uh, counsel with Mark Mantooth of New Orleans and Ed Dove of Lexington, Kentucky. And they've been representing me through this whole process. Currently, we have a case in federal court in the Sixth Circuit, um, which right now, the Sixth Circuit, the law is a little tough. Other federal circuits of the court have begun to interpret the federal law to include LGBT as a protected class. The Sixth Circuit is not one of those. Uh, so that's the uphill battle that we're fighting right now. Because in Kentucky right now, uh, while 
there are, I believe, 10 communities that protect LGBT uh, in terms of employment or housing, access to goods and services. That's 10 of 419. So it is not a common protection, unfortunately, in my state. And that's, that's what we're working towards now. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, so, so to summarize, you are trying to help an individual, a child, well, a middle school child. I mean, yes. that's, that's still kind of right there in the middle of child and teen. But uh, you're trying to help this young person by coming out and saying, look, you're not the only one out there that's, go that's, that's queer. Um, you're okay. Uh, you're, people around you that say you aren't okay are wrong. You're okay because I'm this way. And then you were fired for that. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's certainly what it seems like, despite what they seem, what they uh, in insist otherwise. Yeah. I mean, to me, I would, as a parent, even if, even if I were straight, I would be so thankful that you reached out to my kid. Um, but, right. You know, that's, that's just me, I guess, and Amy. <laughs> I know. Oh, right. I, was, I was listening to this and going, I have a kid that age. Yeah, I have, I have two I have two teenagers, a young teen and an older teen, and I can't imagine how much easier it would have been for either of them. I mean, there, I think it's a little easier for them in our family, but I can't imagine how much better it would have been for them to know that there are other adults beyond, you know, their parents who are there for them should they need that. I, I just, I, I can't fathom a school going, well, we have this really great opportunity to reach out to our students, but no thanks. Yeah. I, and I have an eighth grader right now who's, who's, who's bi and she's um, actually gone, gotten more shy over the past two years about it. But I, I would be thrilled if her choir teacher did that. Jesus, right, yes. Thank you. I need the help, you know, but okay. Right, exactly. And again, as a parent of kids who are in their school's music program, those, those yeah. are the teachers that they connect on a different level yeah, they from do. your math teacher. <laughs> it is. It is different. Uh, my, my kids are all closer to their art and music teachers. Well, thank yeah. you for doing that, even if you didn't get that from the parents. You need to hear yeah, that. Well, absolutely. actually, uh, something that has been heartwarming, honestly, while obviously I got that uh, very negative reaction from by school administration, the reaction from the community overall was quite a bit different. Uh, as uh, within a month, my students and their parents were protesting on the courthouse steps, uh, trying to get me reinstated. Yeah. So while, uh, while certainly the, uh, the whole situation has been quite frustrating, overall, it's actually given me a little bit of hope because uh, this is a small Eastern Kentucky town and these students and their parents were willing to put themselves out there for an LGBT teacher. And it shows me that despite opinions to the contrary, a lot of these people are really ready for more. That's, and it, how did the, have to ask about the, the young, young girl there. Um, is she, everything turn out okay for her? Is she getting the help she needs? Yes. Or has there been some um, barriers? I, Ultimately, we were able to get her some counseling services, and I just spoke with her maybe a, a month or two ago, and she's now in high school and, and doing well, and maybe oh, good. happier than I've seen her. Good. Oh, well, if you, good to hear. from us, give her a big hug. I'll do that. <laughs> All right. So 
Jennifer, could you tell us a little bit about Kentucky law? Are there protections for LGBTQ plus Kentuckians or um, bills being proposed? Uh, what's going on in that, um, in that arena? Sure. So our work at the Lawyers Committee um, particularly is centered around hate crimes. Um, so I can certainly talk about what the legal landscape is in Kentucky as far as hate crimes. Um, and I definitely can also talk about some of the proposed legislation um, that is in committee right now in Kentucky. So in terms of hate crimes, um, Kentucky does have a hate crime statute, um, and the statute itself um, is very interesting. Um, a lot of times in hate crimes, we see that there are two different kinds of hate crime statutes. Either there's a standalone statute, which basically means that a hate crime is a completely separate crime from um, a more traditional assault or any other kind of crime. And then we also have penalty enhancement statutes, which basically say that if somebody commits an assault or another kind of enumerated crime, and there's a finding that that crime was um, done based on bias or hate um, for folks who are a part of protected categories, that there will be some kind of enhanced penalty um, for that particular offender. Um, Kentucky statute is interesting because it does provide for um, the, not quite necessarily the penalty enhancement piece, but it does provide for a judge to make a finding of fact as to whether a hate crime was committed. Um, the twist in that is that it's discretionary in terms of the judge actually being able to um, provide any kind of penalty enhancement. So the finding is mandatory. It's a part of the court record um, and the judge can use that for sentencing purposes, but it's not mandated by the statute. Um, so the other thing that's important to note about Kentucky's statute is that it does have protections for um, sexual orientation, but it does not have protections for gender identity. That's not a protected class under the Kentucky statute. So that's something that's really important for folks who identify as queer um, or trans or non-binary for them to know is that um, that's not a protected category under um, Kentucky statute. Another piece um, to keep in mind is that there are certain kinds of crimes in Kentucky that are part of the hate crime statute. Um, so that would include assault, menacing, criminal abuse in the first and second degree, unlawful imprisonment in the first degree, rape, sodomy, and sexual abuse in the first degree, criminal mischief or use or possession of noxious substances, arson, riot, unlawful assembly, disorderly conduct, harassment or harassing communications. Um, and this is important to spell out because um, last year with the um, Kroger incident that happened in J-Town, one of the issues that came up um, shortly thereafter was really trying to determine is the Kentucky hate crime statute something that local prosecutors can use for that incident? Um, or do we need to turn to federal statute to see um, if maybe the um, perpetrator could be um, tried and convicted under any federal hate crime statutes? And 
interestingly enough, Kentucky actually doesn't have homicide as part of its list of um, applicable crimes under our hate crime statute. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about some of the legislation that um, is going on in the General Assembly, and that's something that we're starting to see is um, a change in the different underlying crimes that are part of the hate crime statute. Um, okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> uh, back up a bit, the Kroger incident. I'm not familiar with that. Sure. So there was a um, shooting that occurred in a Kroger in Jefferson Town, Kentucky in October of last year. And the individual that committed this crime um, had previously gone to a predominantly African-American church in uh, J-Town, kind of a situation that's comparable to what people may be familiar with, with the Charlestown or Charleston mm. um, shooting in South Carolina with Dylan Roof. Yes. Um, and so unfortunately, well, fortunately the church itself was locked. And so um, he was not able to enter the church to commit any acts of violence. Oh, wow. But this individual did go to Kroger um, in J-Town and Unfortunately, two people uh, lost their lives and were murdered um, at Kroger. Okay, now uh, I'm remembering this. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. I've heard the West Coast people, Kroger's a supermarket. So it's like Allison's yes. or something. Kroger's is a supermarket. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Sure. They don't have murder on there as a hate crime. Is that because all murder is theoretically a hate crime or they just forgot? I don't understand the reasoning. <laughs> What's the reasoning there? Uh, I, I wish I had more concrete information to provide to you. Um, honestly, I'm not sure why murder is not um, one of the listed crimes um, in the Kentucky statute. Um, with the work that we do at the Lawyers Committee, um, we do a lot of work in a number of states. Um, currently, right now, I believe there's 45 um, states that have some version of a hate crime law and five that do not. Um, and for each state, it really kind of varies. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of states who do have murder um, or lesser degrees of manslaughter as part of their hate crime statute. So I'm not sure why Kentucky's is not, why Kentucky statute does not include that. Um, I don't think it's happenstance that they just forgot it. Yeah. But um, I'm, not, I'm honestly not sure why that's not a part of it. But it is something that we do see in other states where murder is part of the statute. Yeah, I mean, the whole hate crime law came up because of, uh, was it James Byrd in Texas? And yes. that was a murder. So mm -hmm. it doesn't make, okay, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. But all right, hopefully they get that fixed. Um, yeah. Uh, Anna. Yes. Anna, what resources does the Lawyers Committee provide to five-plus employees worried about losing their jobs um, or who have lost their job, like Nicholas? Yeah, so things that we provide with, between our projects, the Economic Justice Project and the Stop Hate Project, could be trainings around what are like stipulations of what happens when you're coming against something like that. So what actually is like know your rights of 
employment and just types of discrimination. Mm -hmm. We also provide like community trainings around what is a hate incident versus what is a hate crime. Also, how do you work in the realm of community safety? So how do you work with local prosecutors? How do you work with local authority to really um, help yourself and help them understand how the community encounters hate incident or hate and discrimination in general. So we do a lot of um, outside trainings around those types of issues to get the message out around what is love, what is freedom, what is living in a free society that is not rooted in hate and how do we get through those types of barriers as well. Oh boy, and that is so sorely needed right now with all that's going on. Um, Just, I was uh, with Southern Poverty Law Center, I just uh, saw this yesterday that hate crimes have gone up like by 50% over the yeah. last couple of years. And uh, I mean, this is stuff, you know, that has has been swept under the rug partly too, but, and maybe it's just being identified more, but um, that's and even still And even when we think about like hate crimes is that there's been an uptick of hate incidents because yeah. what Nick has experienced on his end with employment discrimination, that's like, that's a part of a hateful act to do that to someone who's actually trying to help a potential survivor of a different type of like hate that's being accosted to them. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this weird cyclical thing that happens. And in our project, um, we always try to think about kind of like dissect the why things are happening. But we all know that because we're all a part of different affinity groups, different intersections. We all know that hate has always been persistent and it's always existed. But with our new administration, like, you know, elephants in a room, our new administration definitely has made it so where you can spew your hate and live within your hate and accost it to other people in different types of way. Like, Nick losing his job, yeah. not feeling comfortable about her sexuality, and then um, potentially wanting to, you know, end her life. Yeah. Or other folks who could vicious shopping at a Kroger in J-Town, and mm-hmm. that was murdered because of basically the color of their skin. So we're dealing with different forms of discrimination, different forms of hate. And, um, you know, what I always say about why I love working with the Bi Plus community um, is because we come, like I said, from different affinities. We come from different intersections and we encounter life very differently than other folks um, because we walk through many margins. And because we walk through many margins, we're able to kind of spot what is discrimination, Mm -hmm. what is hate. And we're able to work across aisles to really get to the root of why is something happening? And then how do we move past or move through or move around um, issues to bring our communities back to center? So um, we're definitely, our office is definitely wanting to partner with other organizations, with other people who are in local regions, city councils, you know, anyone who wants to partner with us to do these types of community trainings um, to make sure that everyone kind of knows what is your rights to living in a free environment that's not accosted with hate and how do we get protections or make our um, lives more protected when you have a lack of like hate crime law and different things like that. Definitely. 
So Anna, I was going to actually ask you, you mentioned the difference between a hate incident and a hate crime. Can you briefly just tell us what is the difference between those? I mean, I, they sound different to me just yeah. on principle, but, but what is the difference? So like Jennifer was saying, it depends on the state. Um, usually when it comes to a hate crime, that's because there has been um, an issue where a person has been accosted with violence. Um, but it really depends on the state of how they want to classify the differences between a hate crime and a hate um, incident. For example, I'm from Georgia. We are one of those five states that doesn't have a hate crime law, but we have uh, civil provisions where um, things can fall in under a hate incident. Like if someone, um, someone puts a white supremacist marker on a church or a synagogue or a mosque, that would be considered a hate um, incident. But because we don't have a hate crime law here, it wouldn't be considered a hate crime technically. Um, so there's like little nuances and differences and it depends on really the statutes and the law, the rule of law of that state and that locality. Um, what we are seeing now is that um, a lot of local localities have been pushing toward community resolutions to create um, deeper protections when they have situations where they don't have um, a hate crime statute or their hate crime statute isn't really strong, like one that, you know, has murder, but you may have different classifications of like manslaughter or different ways that people may encounter hate, like cyberbullying. So I know um, in Georgia, we just passed a law last session called Marcy Law, and it was on our um, ballot and went to referendum and it passed. So yay. So with Marcy Law, it's a victim's rights bill. So basically a person who um, has been accosted um, as a victim of a sexual crime, which we all know that hate crimes and hate incidents, they do teeter between sexual crimes and different things. It just depends on the conditions of the situation um, that's happened. But now there's more protections for the victims and the survivors actually in that situation where they're able to have more punitive damages within um, the courts. That's just not rooted within uh, civil torts. So that's a, that's a small step <laughs> trying to get a bigger step of a hate crime law passed here, but we're slowly, literally is Georgia, so we're slowly churning away um, at uh, the roots of that. And I'm glad that Anna brought that up and used Georgia as an example. In the state of Kentucky, um, there isn't a civil hate crime law, um, so there isn't a way that you can file a lawsuit and say that some kind of activity that was not criminal in nature um, was based on um, bias or hate for protected categories. Um, Kentucky doesn't have that, but Kentucky does have a number of civil tort laws that individuals can use, or if you are a victim of a crime, um, you can use the laws that are available to you um, under Kentucky state law to be able to claim compensation. Um, so that's something else for folks to be able to keep in mind. And that really kind of gets back to the hate crime versus hate incident point that Anna was bringing up. Um, and so in Kentucky, even if there is an activity or an incident that occurs that does not rise to the level of a hate crime under Kentucky's law, there may be other 
um, statutes or other Kentucky uh, law that may be available for people to use. So in Nick's case, would that be, con that would be considered a hate incident or could it be? In Nick's, in, in Nick's case, it likely is a hate incident, mm -hmm. um, unless there was some kind of criminal activity that occurred as well. Um, it would likely be a hate incident under Kentucky law. A lot of this comes down to what can, constitutes a crime in the law books already. And, uh, you know, I guess being fired isn't criminal, but it is against the law. I know every state has protections for uh, race and um, religion and ethnicity, um, but not sexual orientation. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, it really does. It really does vary from state to state. Um, and one thing that I'll mention in terms of kind of what the landscape is right now in Kentucky and what's going on in the legislature, mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of uh, reaction and movement to some of the hate crimes and hate incidents that have occurred in Kentucky in the last year or so. So there are four different bills that are within their respective judiciary committees that um, deal in some way with hate crimes. Um, there's one bill in particular, um, it's House Bill 145 for those who are tracking what's going on in the General Assembly. Um, and it actually includes gender identity as a protected category. Um, so if, if that were to get passed, then not only would sexual orientation, but gender identity would also be part of Kentucky's hate crime statute. And it also does some other things that are different than how the current hate crime statute operates. It actually would make a hate crime its own separate crime. Um, and then also some of the restrictions that currently exist in the General Assembly in terms of being able to require cities to um, make expenditures or levy taxes kind of in the process of um, enforcing um, the law, that restriction um, has been removed as, would be removed as well um, if that statute was passed. And it also would make the commission of a hate crime a felony. So that means that there would be likely be longer uh, sentencing or punishment for someone who is convicted of a hate crime. So that's just one example of some of the different legislation um, that's kind of up for debate right now. Nick, have you been asked to speak to the legislature on any of these? I, uh, I have spoken uh, on a couple of occasions with Chris Hartman of the uh, Fairness Campaign out of Louisville. Uh, and it's something we've discussed here and there, but uh, but no, I've not been formally asked to address the legislature, no. Um, I can add some other stuff about what else is going on in the legislature, um, if that would be helpful. Absolutely. Sure. So outside of the um, hate crime um, proposed legislation that I mentioned, there's also some other legislation um, that's in committee right now that um, is related to um, the LGBTQ community, but not necessarily in the sense of hate crimes. 
So there's a House bill and a Senate bill in Kentucky. Um, the House bill is number 164 and the Senate bill is 166. Um, and it essentially amends the current Kentucky Civil Rights Act. Um, right now under the Civil Rights Act in Kentucky, sexual orientation and gender identity are not included as protected categories. So if either of these bills are to pass, um, it would amend the protected categories to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. Um, and then it also would, in doing so, would expand protections um, to prohibit discrimination in labor and employment practices. So that gets back and, you know, touches on um, the experience that Nick had. Um, it also um, prohibits discrimination in public accommodations and also in advertisements for public accommodations or resorts or other places of amusement to prevent um, any kind of notices or uh, flyers, other materials that people would use to advertise about their, you know, places of business. Um, it also prohibits discrimination in certain housing, real estate, and other financial transactions, um, insurance sales, and credit transactions. Does that and, cover things like Airbnb? Because I know that's a huge problem with discrimination. It might. It really depends on what the final product of the bill looks like. Um, so it may include Airbnbs. Um, Hopefully that would be considered as the kind of um, housing unit or rental unit that would be protected under mm -hmm. the statute. Okay. Um, and then the bill also expands the authority of the Kentucky um, Human Rights Commission, which currently um, will receive complaints of discrimination from various protected categories of individuals and can enforce the current Kentucky um, Civil Rights Act. And so the proposed legislation will also expand their authority to enforce um, Kentucky's anti-discrimination statute for folks um, based on their sexual orientation and gender identity or expression, which is great because that means that there's another resource that folks can turn to. So. Maybe if the um, hate crime statute is not applicable to them, or maybe if there isn't a civil statute or law that applies, a person might be able to file a complaint mm -hmm. um, with the Kentucky Human Rights Commission. And if that complaint is accepted, then it might be investigated and then there could be uh, possible remedies for that person and the discrimination that they face. I know. So, that's a really important piece. Yes, for folks I, that know was about. my next question is how, how enforceable any of this is. And so it sounds like Kentucky is actually doing quite a bit or trying to. I mean, this all still has to go through the legislature, but you do have people, that's very positive to me, that are thinking about the whole picture instead of just one piece of it. And we're just. Yeah, so. that's absolutely right. And I, I'm glad to see that there are. Um, bills that are coming from both parts of the legislature um, to 
expand the protections for folks under state law. That's something that's incredibly important. So it's good to see that that's happening um, outside of hate crimes. And then there are also, as I mentioned before, um, some bills that are up for discussion um, in committee that also would expand protections and include gender identity as well. Um, so that's something that's really important. And um, for folks who are um, on the ground in Kentucky in particular, I would definitely, you know, encourage you to um, see if you can get involved with other groups or advocates um, that, you know, may have a particular opinion or position on this legislation. Um, certainly call your, you know, uh, representatives and senators if this is um, the kind of legislation that you would like to see in Kentucky and, um, you know, really encourage them to give these bills some serious consideration. Definitely. Uh, I'm glad to see that in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Nick, tell us what's next for you. Um, I, we heard all your whole story and yeah. what are you, what, what's the plan for the future for you? Uh, well, of course, through my career, I taught choir and ultimately theater as well, um, which is where I found a reinvigorated passion. Um, <laughs> on, a, on a whim, uh, about a year ago, uh, my students, at that point I was working in uh, Lexington, Kentucky at, a, at, a, at a, another middle school, and my students found a, a posting for an audition for uh, Annie, the part of Daddy Warbucks, and I had done some community theater throughout that year. Uh, through several regional uh, companies and uh, they finally convinced me to put in this audition for a professional theater company which I never expected anything to come of uh, but ultimately they ended up hiring me on and so this last year has just been a, a, a whirlwind of change for me uh, in career and just my life in general, uh, but very positive change. So currently I'm working as a professional actor. Uh, I think I probably got the, uh, the career aspirations backwards. Rarely is professional actor the backup career, uh, but that is what I'm doing. Um, so I, I worked several contracts last year. Currently, I'm working on uh, rehearsing a tour of Driving Miss Daisy, which will be going up next month. Um, wow. I have had the opportunity to do a little, a little bit of film work and whatnot. But at the same time, though I'm not in a classroom anymore, I find that you, you, you can't quite take, well, that old adage, you can take the uh, classroom out of the teacher. But... Uh, I find that I'm still very much a teacher in my everyday life. I find all sorts of new opportunities to work with both youth and adults in community theater situations and have found all sorts of new ways to just get involved. And more than anything, that's my recommendation for, for your listeners here. When this whole process started, I had numerous people uh, close friends, colleagues begged me to stop because they knew that by putting myself out there, by, uh, by getting involved in activism, by fighting this fight, I was going to make things more challenging for myself, uh, particularly in terms of finding employment. Um, and 
in truth, that has certainly been a challenge. Uh, however, by fighting this fight, I, I find myself in a very unique position to perhaps make a, a, a you know, positively affect change for thousands of people. Um, this this case that I find myself in the middle of, when I, it's hard to wrap my mind around the number of people that this can actually affect. Um, I had a number of students uh, contact me after this case got started and beg me to keep it going because of what it could mean for them in the future. Of course, ideally, by fighting this fight, the end result, we hope, is that others won't have to fight it later. Yeah. And so more than anything, I would recommend to, because sadly, my story is far from unique. There are far too many like me. Um, so my advice more than anything is to stand up for yourselves and for the thousands of others like you. Keep this conversation going and hopefully together we can affect some positive change for our community and our country. Definitely. Did you find that it was easier to come out than you thought it would be though? As hard as it was for you in losing your job, like the rest of your world, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think I realized just how much staying in the closet weighed on me. Yeah. Um, it, at the time, it, though obviously just making the decision, I, I struggled with it for a while, but just clicking the post button, it didn't feel like, like much of a change. But then the days after it, my mother described it um, in a, a way, just observing me in the weeks that followed, um, that it seemed that at the age of 30, it was the first time I was finally, uh, finally allowing myself to breathe and be yeah. myself. Yeah. I had no idea until I took that step just how much being in the closet affected me, how repressed I felt in everything I did. There's just, you just don't know how that's affecting you, like you said, until you, it's this weight that comes off and you can breathe and you can be yourself. And uh, it's amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Anna, tell us more about this training, how people can get in touch with you or yeah lawyers committee to get this done yeah so um with our stop hate project we have an entire team who's out and about in different um states and wanting to connect with folks around the trainings i can be reached at i think you all have my personal email address um but i can be reached at my lawyers committee email address which is mm -hmm. a dennis at lawyers committee and Jennifer, can you unmute yourself to tell folks your um, email address? Oh, you're already unmuted. Yay. And can you spell it out? Because, you know. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so you can reach me at my lawyers committee email address, which is jwachuku. That's spelled J, N as in Nancy, W, A, C as in Charlie, H, U, K, W, U at lawyerscommittee.org. And Jennifer, can you tell folks what are some of the upcoming um, trainings that you all have down the pipe? Because I know that you have one, I think, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a training coming up tomorrow. 
in San Antonio, Texas. Um, so this is one of the trainings that we provide to different safety communities, as Anna mentioned. Um, this training in particular is for law enforcement and prosecutors. It's a skills-based training uh, where we are working with um, former prosecutors and FBI agents that have worked in uh, civil rights and with hate crimes to kind of educate or, you know, reinforce information for law enforcement about how to identify hate crimes, how to investigate hate crimes whenever an incident is reported, um, and also for prosecutors as well to have a better understanding of what the uh, respective state hate crime law is um, and how to properly prosecute a hate crime. Um, so we have that training coming up and then we have trainings um, in other parts of the state and other parts of the country, excuse me, um, pretty much throughout the rest of the year putting together our training calendar. Now, do you have people in your organization from every state or most of them? No, we're not from every state, mm -hmm. but uh, we are a small but mighty team. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we try to have full coverage. So I know that I cover some Midwest states and I cover some states in the Mid-Atlantic and, of course, the South, hence I'm in Georgia right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Georgia, um, right? we cover different parts, but when you reach back out to us and if there's someone who wants to help sponsor mm -hmm. um, a training with their local um, electives or their safety community or their local community activists. We could work with them on arranging who actually would come out to um, speak to the community and work with them on the type of training and the build out of what the topics would be and okay. what we would be learning and gathering together about. Because this sounds good to me. But you're from, you're from Georgia, correct, Donna? I am. I'm just here visiting. I'm here visiting and doing some work. My grandmother's birthday was yesterday. Oh, good. And Hope then, she got hugs. Yeah. She got a lot of hugs. <laughs> um, Hope you guys did make her here for work. Yeah, there you go. Yes, provide me some links. I'll, I'll get some links from you and, I'll, um, and your email addresses, if you don't mind. I'll put them on with this podcast. Um, Nicholas, I hope things are getting starting to look up for you it sounds like and i hope this goes forward Thank this sounds much. like it could be a national thing oh before i go <clears throat> anna and jennifer the um equality act that's yeah tell us a little bit of what you know about that well it's getting hot and fiery in dc with yes, the equality yes. act <laughs> it's a very it's a hot topic um <laughs> They're looking at who's going to sponsor, what's going to be safeguards. So I feel like this is still in the beginning stages of coming down the pipe, but I do want to make um, our community aware that when we're thinking about the Equality Act and we're thinking about safeguards, we need, when I say safeguards, meaning the protections that are already within the Civil Rights Act and what's included and what's not included, we also need to um, also think about the landscape that we're in like Nick was mentioning earlier about the Sixth Circuit, um, which is like a court circuit. So mm -hmm. when cases come um, down the pipe, we need to think about what type of courts do we have on the local level, like our district courts, our circuit courts, what type of legislators do we have in Congress, mm -hmm. what type of administration we're in. So this can be a very revolutionary time 
for many communities. However, it would be revolutionary if it's done in the right way. And we probably wouldn't have all the other standards of those things, those conditions um, that I mentioned. So I think with our community, we just need to be aware of the conditions of um, the Equality Act coming about during a time like this. And we need to really start talking to each other about what do we stand to gain? And then also, what do we stand to lose? Mm -hmm. Yes. We're going to have to keep tabs on this because I'm going to need you back Definitely. on <laughs> so, to go over this. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to think of. Um, oh, so much. I, this kind of just seemed out of the blue to me because no, I hadn't heard it was being talked at at the federal level. Um, I know about the local level. Uh, and while we're talking about the local level, please vote at local elections. Those matter almost more sometimes because you're personally affected by the things at your local level, you know, in your state legislature and your city um, and town and things like that. Um, although and even on that point, like when people are going out to vote, like Jennifer and I said, we're both housed also in our voting rights project. Mm -hmm. And if folks are having issues um, at the polls, like, if your ID doesn't match your um, gender identity or things like that, um, or they're saying that your registration isn't active and they're not allowing you to vote a paper ballot or electronic ballot, um, or just turning you away in general, different things like that, please call our election protection hotline. We are a 365 day hotline. <laughs> Um, and there are people like me, Jennifer, and others, and trained attorney and legal volunteers who volunteer day in and day out um, to make sure that we can answer questions that folks have and also problem solve with our community members as well around what are solutions of how do we advocate and take it to the next level and then how do we best engage when it comes to election administration process and advocacy so we can all have access to the ballot and our hotline um, number is 866-R-VOTE. Please call it. Even if you don't call it on election day and you have a question, we make sure that we get back to you within um, 48 hours. If you're in Florida and Georgia, we are actually live tomorrow. If you all just heard, my accent came out live. Totally just came out. Um, we are live tomorrow. <laughs> 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, and we're also going to be live in some other um, state elections and municipal elections. And um, definitely please call us, please engage, please let us know um, if you're having um, issues. And then on our Stop Hate, we also have our Stop Hate website. Mm -hmm. I think it's www.no9hate. No Jennifer, am I saying it right? It's 8449nohate.org. Yes. And you can also call our um, No Hate hotline with the same number, and that's 8449nohate. One thing to remember, I love it. <laughs> I, I, yes. I remember Try to keep it consistent That's across right. the board. One thing about voting, and I don't think everybody knows this, um, and I think this is nationwide. If somebody tells you you can't vote, you can demand a provisional ballot, and they have to let you vote on that provisional ballot, correct? Is that true? That, that is, is correct. correct. So um, don't walk away a without marking something. Yeah, yeah. And get to However, those, every saying, election. If they're saying that you cannot vote, 
you need to ask them what are the conditions of why you cannot vote? Why are they telling Definitely. you that information? And um, if you're unsure about what they're saying, make sure you call um, our hotline or call others um, to make sure you can get the help that you need around the inquiries or the trouble that you're having at the polls or engaging in the process, definitely. And it can happen to anybody. It happened to the gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, did it not? Yeah. Mind her name. I can't remember her name. Oh, Stacy. Stacy, yes. Stacy Abrams. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it happened to her when she went to vote for herself. And she says, she's got her idea, says Stacy Abrams. Well, you can't vote. Yes, I can. So she, she did get to vote, but just be on guard, get to every election that you can, um, and, uh, get out there. And then if you have a problem, get a provisional ballot and then call Anna. Yes. And just <laughs> me, I love talking about elections and civic engagement. Y'all know, I love doing that. Yes. So yes. I'm always available to answer questions. The next thing that's up for our, um, stop hate project. I know that we're going to be engaging in world pride in, uh, June, so we should have some, we're hoping to have some really great trainings um, coming down the pipe and panels during World Pride. Very excited because it's stateside this time. So a lot of us can um, engage and go. So that's next on our um, docket for conferences. But if there's anything else that folks need about resources um, or more information about the Stop Hate Project or the Election Protection Project, please do not fail to um, reach out to Jennifer and I and we can get you that information. Or you can always go to the Lawyers Committee um, website and that's www.lawyerscommittee.org. I got that one actually right. <laughs> <laughs> and resources are there as well. You will find the link to Nicholas's story as well as the link to the Lawyers Committee on our website under this podcast post, as well as all the other links mentioned today. Thanks to my co-host, Amy Leibowitz. And thanks again to Nicholas Breiner, Anna Dennis, and Jennifer Wachuku. Thanks to our listeners, too. You are not wrong, you are not broken, and you are not alone. You are a human being, you are bisexual plus, and you have community. Bye. 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 If you teach a bird to sing, she gonna learn to fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly away. Transcription services provided by Binds Transcript and Typing Services. Just say it and we'll type it. As leaders in the transcription industry, it's their vision to help business owners reach their project goals for their organization or company by transcribing or providing general office support. They're transcribing what I'm saying right now. Their staff is readily available to assist. Order now and get up to 20% off of your first assignment. Regularly, 99 cents a minute. Celebrating 11 years in business. And thank you, Fran Bynes, for your volunteer activism. Find them at www.bindstranscriptions.com.
The views expressed on the BICAST do not necessarily represent those of BINET USA or the BICAST crew. Look at that.